would want to or perpetuate through identifying or clinging to those perceptions. So it's like mindfulness is knowing time and place and awareness of <coughs> the way things are, the, the people you're with, the situation you're in. So once you get establish yourself, you know, get become an ajahn or a teacher, you can always have to, you know, if you attach to that perception, then you you have to be a teacher wherever you are with whoever you're with, <laughs> or a senior monk, or, you know, it's always uh, the roles that we, that we are, have to adopt on a conventional level, become ourselves, become sakya ditti, become identified with, with ourself as, a, as, a, as somebody who's a teacher, meditation teacher, head monk, upachaya, jiao kun, and all that kind of thing. So this is, uh, you know, the, what I advise is in the whole point of our life is to be free from these identities. It doesn't mean to discard them or reject them, but to know when those identities are appropriate, the time, the place, the people you're with. So sati sampatanya satipanya is, you know, being awakening to the present because so much like human ignorance, uh, we live in in the past or the future. And so, we, you know, we're always planning our next move and tomorrow's event or next month, next year, <clears throat> or we're re remembering the past thinking about things that we've said or done in the past or what has been done to us or said about us in the past. But in reality, there's only the present moment. Experiences now, the past is a memory, the future, the unknown. And this, uh, you know, is something to keep th this determined determination to to develop this practice, to not be deluded by the um, conditions that affect us in the present moment, by, you know, either rejecting them or clinging to them, but recognizing that all conditions are impermanent. And so this uh, reiteration of this obvious truth, all sapesankarani cha, we start out with that, and we have our first, you know, introduction to vipassana or insight meditation. Is a all conditions are impermanent. The the three lakana, the anicca dukkha nata, and these uh, we think we, we can understand the the words, and we can you know we get the meaning of the word, but the reality is what we're interested in really being the knowing of a Nietzsche, of impermanence, not, not somebody that knows impermanence, but being the awareness itself, because awareness allows us to <coughs> shed the, the limitation of our physical body, our uh, memories, thoughts, emotional habits, and all the rest. We live in a in this realm, this sense realm, you know, for a lifetime. So we have to, you know, recognize that the, the human body <coughs> is a sensitive form. It was born, grows up, gets old, and dies. It's the nature of all conditioned phenomena. And so, in the Satipatthana, the Gayanupasana Satipatthana, is a recognition of that the body is a condition and not a person, not a personality, not me or mine. And this has to be seen through insight, not through just reiterating these kind of perceptions. Because sometimes we can delude ourselves thinking we understand the Dhamma because we say, well, the Buddha taught uh, all conditions are impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self. And we think we really know that 
we know the words for it, but the insight, the, the insight knowledge comes through a determined investigation until, uh, you know, the, the insight arises in us, where we know this beyond the definition, beyond the words, beyond the teaching. What you realize, and if this, if you develop this practice, is, is you know, you 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 know this in a profound way, rather than through just the definition, the the intellectual understanding of it. Now this is beyond explanation because it's insight. Words. Language has to, you have to let go of it because it can only take you so far and then you you need to relinquish attachment to definitions, to terminologies, to, because there are sankharas and <clears throat> like anything else. And language itself is is for comparing one thing with another, for defining, for separating. It's a divisive function that we have to say this is big, this is small, this is beautiful, this is ugly, and this is right, wrong, true, and false. So we we have on the condition level of the khandhas, you know, we, we have this uh, conditioning to regard what, you know, what is the right thing to think or the wrong thing to do or what is true, what is false, and what is beautiful and what isn't. And we live in this realm of thinking, definition, terminology, conditionality. And so we're primed, you know, from when we're born to, you know, we, we, when we're, a baby's born, it doesn't have a personality. It isn't a person yet. It doesn't identify with its body. As a, you know, whether it's a male or female, it's not uh, English or Thai or any other nationality. It has no class identification or religious identification, but it's conscious. Like a newborn baby is fully conscious in the human form with the limitation of the baby's form, but the instinctual intelligence that's born with that, that comes with the, the birth with the human birth. And then after that, you know, we're conditioned to, um, you know, through our, usually it's our mother, <coughs> you know, that we're most concerned with in the beginning of our life. We get our, you know, what, it, what a good boy, good girl should be or shouldn't be. And, and we, we get, you know, all our information about our position in the family, our uh, nationality, or ethnic background, or religious background, and so forth. So we acquire, you know, cultural conditioning, uh, and that can that varies, you know, in degrees from one culture to another. Now that is, uh, you know, and then we form a sense of ourself. You know, I'm, we, you know, we identify with our appearance, with the bodies we have, whether we're tall or short, male or female, whether we're light-skinned or dark-skinned or att attractive or unattractive. And we, we form a sense of ourself accordingly to what we're, we learn and are informed through our parents, through our families, through our, so, uh, through our society. And that becomes, uh, you know, we, that becomes a sense of a self in terms of appearance, gender, uh, size, color, and all the rest. We have class identities or, or ethnic identities. These are all conditioned phenomena. These are all sankharas, arising, ceasing. And yet, the world's problems are all around these identities. You know, when you hear the news of what's happening in the world, it's, uh, you know, the, 
in the Ukraine or in Syria or Iraq and ethnic identities, tribal identities, sectarian identities and so forth and how much we're willing to kill each other or fight with each other or destroy each other over just these sankharas. So in uh, the Buddha's teaching, you know, he made it very simple for us because it's not about which sankhara is the best one or the most right or the least or the most wrong. Or we're not, it's not a judgmental thing. Wisdom is not judgmental. It's not about what's the best or the worst. It's about the way things are, the way it is. And what we can know now at this very moment for sure, definitely, through awareness, is all conditions are impermanent. Because whatever you're thinking or feeling at this moment, if you allow it to be what it is, it's changing. You know, it does as strong, you know, whether you're happy or unhappy or interested or bored or confused, doubtful, uh, whatever quality of emotion you're experiencing at this moment, if you're aware of it, it is changing. It, it has no ability to sustain itself. We can create the illusion of it's me and mine and I'm this way, but in reality, if you're patient and mindful and you begin to see whatever you think, whatever you feel in the present, is uh, impermanent, nicha, dukkha, nata. And this you can prove to yourself that there, you, you're not a thought, you're not a human form, you're not anything at all, but the awareness of conditioned phenomena. And that's not personal, that's not like my possession, as, as if I had it and you, you, you don't, or yours is different from mine. We're talking about Sati Sampachanya. It's this isn't about this has no personality. It's it is wisdom operating within the this uh, sense realm that we begin to trust and take refuge in that wisdom rather than in any of the sensory experiences or memories, thoughts, ideas, ideals, or hopes or fears that we might produce in the present moment. Now this is a very important uh, way to, to break through, to break out of the, the, the slavery or the victimization that we create through limiting ourselves always to the physical form, to the emotional condition of the present, to memories that we have, to fears and anger and desires that that might we might be experiencing. So many people, you know, over the years have taking meditation retreats, and one of the common questions is, how do I, Ajahn Sumedho, tell me how do I deal with anger? My anger is a problem. And they say, you know, it's my anger. And and uh, I know I shouldn't be this way, but how can I get rid of it? That kind of thing. This is this is an you know, identity with the emotion of anger, and the, and that identity. It's my problem, my fault. It's me. What do I? What should I do about it? That's all about creating illusions around it. Anger is a condition when the conditions for anger arise and this is what we experience. And so in the Buddhist terminology it's, it's not about my anger, it's when there's the conditions that are present in which this emotion arises it, it manifests in consciousness. And our relationship to it then is knowing, you know, it is what it is. It's a sankara that's present. Once you start 
identifying with it, saying my anger, and or blaming somebody for making you angry, or blaming yourself for feeling angry, then you're creating it into something more than what it really is in the present. It becomes compounded, becomes complicated, becomes neurotic, and uh, we suffer from it. Same with desire, uh, sexual desire. That's, uh, that's part of the human condition, the mammalian species, isn't it? Or the animal world is about procreating the species. So these bodies are sexual forms, and their you know their their purpose for that for that is to procreate the species, getting down to the bare facts. <clears throat> and then we talk about my sexual problems or my sexual identities or my you know sexuality becomes personal; it becomes complicated. Uh, because we identify with it, we you know we're a celibate community, so <clears throat> we're not supposed to act on it. But we can feel guilty or or confused by the sexual uh, realities of our human form. But our awareness of that is it transcends. You know, it, it knows sexual desire. But then when we're mindful and using wisdom, then we see it in terms of a condition arising when the conditions are available where that particular desire arises. We're aware of it. And that awareness is what our refuge is because that awareness is not sexual. It's not angry. It's not me or mine. So awareness allows us to operate from a universal wisdom of knowing rather than from personal identity and cultural conditioning that we all have to deal with. We live in a, in a sense, realm, you know, this is from birth to death. We have to deal with the form, the physical body. We have to... Uh, uh, with the sensory experiences of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, with with uh, retentive memory, we're sometimes cursed with memory that have, we have to remember things of the past that can create all kinds of misery for us. <clears throat> it's also a gift. It gives us language. We can, you know, we can uh, manipulate conditioned phenomena, modern science, technology, all the miraculous manifestations that modern science has been able to produce, you know, comes through manipulation of these elements of the conditioned phenomena, not through understanding the unborn, uncreated, but through uh, being able to manipulate and, and use the four elements, earth, fire, water, and air, in, in order to create other conditions. So uh, this, is, this is the realm we live in. The planet Earth, the sun and moon and stars, the universe is all about conditioned phenomena. <clears throat> and so it's far away, like the sun and moon are far away, the stars and the sky are far away, but, and so we don't, you know, we're not particularly involved with trying to contemplate them as much as that which is closest, such as your own body right now. And his posture, breathing and sitting is like this, or the state of mind you're in, what you're feeling uh, at this moment, you know, with the emotional, uh, the emotional experience of this moment is like this. Whatever its quality might be is not the issue anymore, but the awareness, it, it, we are aware of what we're feeling at this moment. If you pay attention to, to your, your jitta, to your mind at this moment, what is it? It's feeling something. And that knowing 
in that awareness and knowing is what we trust in. Not, not in the thinking process about uh, what I'm feeling is right or wrong or me or mine or good or bad, but it is what it is, you know, conditions are, all conditions are impermanent. So that makes it very simple. We don't have to favor one condition over another <coughs> or try to make any condition we like into some kind of permanent possession, but knowing all conditioned phenomena is enough. And we don't need to know why, why we feel or are this way, why I feel angry or upset or confused or bored or sleepy or doubting. And the Buddha didn't ask why, but he pointed to the way it is. So we don't need to, to know why we feel anger. We know that when anger is present, it's like this. And that knowing then is a direct, it's jnana, dasana, it's the insight, knowledge, it's profound knowing through wisdom rather than knowing about and then interpreting our experience always from the conditioned mind through identity, through the personality, through cultural conditioning, through thinking, through judgments, criticism. Like wisdom is uh, discerning in this sense of panya in Pali, Pali word panya, wisdom is, is a discerning. It's not, a, it's not discriminating. It's not saying this is right or wrong. It's discerning. It's knowing that right now, the, whatever you're thinking, feeling, experiencing is, is the way it is. And that if you accept it for what it is and be patient with it, it'll cease. And you'll, you'll discern its presence, you'll discern its absence. You know, so we, this way, this is a discerning wisdom rather than a critical kind of wisdom about right and wrong. Now we're in a form like the Sangha form and uh, <clears throat> This form is, is a convention about uh, action and speech. So it's, it's, uh, it's not to be taken personally, you know. So it, and if, if we do, we begin to identify with, with being senior monk or junior or silandara or something, and then these all become personal uh, identities that create suffering. But the, the form itself is, is impersonal. It's not about senior being better than junior or bhikkhus being better than siladharas or superior or inferior. It's about just a convention of structure, hierarchical structure that we have to live in. It's a form for reflection, not a form for identity. So it's, uh, when we talk about Sangha, it's Supatipano, Ujupatipano, Yaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano. It's about one who knows, Supatipano is one who knows the path, knows the way, has that insight. And the direct practice of that insight, you know, in our daily life, is continuous reminding, reflecting, and and being patient with the changing conditions that we have to live with, whether they're physical, emotional, mental conditions. The agreement in Sangha is about morality, isn't it? It's about uh, etiquette, about agreed behavior, so that we, we are, our life isn't a constant kind of a comp competitive uh, experience. You know, of trying to you know negotiate our own special conditions for our life here. It's about we agree to live within a structure in the form of the vinaya as we've 
as it's been handed to us through Lumpacha, Wat Bapong Stanley. And of course, that traces its origin back to the Buddha himself in 2,500 years ago. So it's an impersonal form. It's a Buddha form. It's, a, it's about, you know, being mindful and, and, and provides a way of living in the society. You know, it gives us a, a way of functioning within the society that is blameless. You know, so we're, we're not contributing to the foolishness, the stupidity of the society we're in. We're, we're not judging it, you know, we're not rebelling or protesting against it, but we're all, we're, you know, we're aware of its limitation or its, its uh, problems. But our relationship within the society is arms mendicancy, making ourselves dependent on the lay community. So the lay community is associated, you know, has its purpose in supporting uh, our endeavors for developing this path. And, it, you know, it's a tradition established by the Lord Buddha in India 2,557 years ago. And it's, you know, it's survived a long time. It's quite a long time for any conventional form to to be able to still exist. And the beauty of it is that it still works. It's not just trying to <clears throat> perpetuate some ancient tradition as an end in itself, but it's actually practical because it's based on universal truth rather than cultural or conventional realities. So my experience here living in England uh, has been, you know, I've been able to live within the structure of traditional structure as established by the Buddha within a modern European country uh, that has, that before has never really understood or been that much interested in, in Buddhism itself. And, and but it also ha has been quite, um, you know, a pleasant life. I found living here in in England, uh, um, I quite enjoyed it. And it was, uh, you know, I didn't find it difficult to live within the structure uh, and the the form of the traditional vinaya, because it isn't about culture anymore about you know ancient India or modern Britain or anything like that it's about the realities of being human you know of suffering and so this first noble truth is a, is a universal truth it's not about a certain kind of suffering in a certain time in a certain place in a certain part of the world it's about human delusion human um, the way we create suffering around our lives, no matter who we are, where we, what position we are in the society, whatever time, place, whatever ethnic group, race, or whatever, the suffering is pretty much the same thing. Dukkha is to be understood rather than something we try to get rid of. So today I was talking with someone I've known for many years who's had a tremendous amount of physical suffering, you know, uh, terrible amounts of physical pain, and uh, and that. and she's been able to, through through years of mindfulness, be able to uh, learn from that, rather than, you know, be. Uh, addicted to drugs and and being depressed and miserable about you know poor me my how what did I do to deserve this it's actually a willingness to use the conditions we're experiencing as Dhamma practice rather than 
feeling sorry for ourselves or blaming God or blaming the world for our own uh, unfortunate physical ailments. And this is a victim society we're in. We're always trying to know why, whose fault is it? Who's, who's to blame for my unhappiness? Uh, who's to blame for uh, the problems of the of this country of this society. Who's to blame for, you know, is it the Americans? Is it the Islamic t terrorists? Is it the Tory Party? <laughs> is, it, is it David Cameron or is it uh, President Obama? Or, you know, we want to blame somebody. And uh, this blaming thing is, you know, I'm suffering because, you know, the conditions aren't, you know, aren't to my liking, or they aren't what I want or what they should be. Now, considering, you know, that we can be very idealistic about life, like being a, an American, you know, America, United States is a country based you know, it, it started from ideas. It's not an evolved society like uh, like Britain, you know, where you have gone through historical changes from tribe, tribalism to feudalism and on up to present uh, parliamentary democracy and so forth. <clears throat> Americans, we tend to think of ourselves as starting in 1776, you know, American independence. And it's based on ideals, so the American uh, culture is very idealistic, you know, about freedom and equality and democracy and progress and human rights and all this. This is these are ideals that we, you know, that human beings create. It's not the way things are; it's the way things should be according to our desires for security and happiness. You know, so we want we want a democratic system where everything is fair and just and everybody's equal <clears throat> and uh, everybody, you know, has enough food and and all the rest. We can we can create, you know, these these magnificent ideas of perfection. And and that's the way we think. Uh, you know, when we start using the thinking process, we know how things should be or shouldn't be. But the way it is, this is where the Buddha is pointing, the way it is at this very moment is not about what should or shouldn't be, but it is like this. And then our way of relating to the way it is, is not through blaming or judging, but through recognizing impermanence. That the, what the way it is right now is like this, and we, we are willing to let it be the way it is and observe its changingness. So then this is the wisdom, development of wisdom, where wisdom arises from this kind of knowledge. You'll get no wisdom about trying to to make the world perfect because it can't be perfect. It's not meant to be what we would like it to be. It is the way it is. And that taken in a personal way or social way, national way, international way, whatever. To contemplate this is all we need to know is the way it is at this moment, which is then the dry luck, the three three lakana, anicca dukkanata. And that isn't judging, is it? It's not saying uh, anicca is, is good or bad. It's just, you know, a, a, a helpful hint in observing the present moment. And that which observes that which knows the present moment is our refuge. That's the amatadhamma. That is reality. That is where wisdom operates. So we've seen in my lifetime, you know, 80 years old, I've 
seen a lot, and uh, and you know, seen the, you know, the. Uh, I was born in 1934, in the middle of a economic depression in the United States. And of course, I didn't really know at the time. My parents, you know, later on were talking about how much they suffered due to the depression of the 30s. And, uh, you know, but I was too young to ever notice. We always had enough to eat and so on. In fact, I remember the 30s as being quite happy time, you know, innocent childhood, discovering life. <clears throat> but my parents, you know, were struggling to, you know, provide for the family and in a, in a society that where is economically depressed. And then there was always the blame and uh, blaming the government or the political parties for this problem. And then the Second World War, I, I was, you know, I was about seven years old when the Americans entered the Second World War. And so that was a very impressionable time, you know, where when you're seven years old, you, you're alert enough to understand what war is and, and uh, the dangers and problems of that. But fortunately, uh, we didn't suffer like the Europeans you know, we, had, we weren't bombed or blitzed or that, but we did have, you know, a lot of uh, rationing of food and and blackouts, and we were expecting to be bombed, you know, at any time, but it never happened. And, of course, a child thinks that's all very exciting. <laughs> I found war quite exciting. <clears throat> but it didn't really touch me in any personal way. But then, during the war, Second World War, the Soviet Union were, were the allies to the Americans and the British. And so, I remember Hollywood movies in the, during the early 40s where they were uh, the heroic Soviets, you know, fighting against the Germans and so forth. This was, you know, they were idealized into these heroic figures. And then, after the war, suddenly they became the enemy. You know, what, you know, they're supposed to be our friends and now they're the enemy. And now the Germans are our friends. <laughs> and so you get confused. You see the contradictions and so forth. And through the, through the time <clears throat> of my life, there's been all these, this problem, you know, the, then the communists became the, you know, there were, all these uh, witch hunts in the United States against communists, uh, reds under the beds, and uh, fears about, you know, communists lurking everywhere and wanting to destroy American freedom. And, and so communism became an evil force. But yet, you know, when you really you know, study communism, it's quite high-minded. You know, it's about equality and fair distribution. It's about, it's, uh, it's taking uh, human thought to this superlative state. You know, a perfect communist society would be ideal, would be really nice. And so you get confused because uh, you're fighting it. Communism is not presented in the American mind as something high-minded. It's presented as an evil force. And yet, so many people were communists because it was an ideal created, you know, of, of perfecting a, a society where everything is fair and just. And so seeing the, you know, the, the fear of that and then the final, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union and, and all that, you realize, you know, with all our best intentions, we, we have these ideals of perfection that we can never live up to, either personally or nationally or internationally. Why is that? Because that's the way it is. Conditions are impermanent. And even superlative conditions are impermanent, as well as evil ones. And our knowing of conditioned phenomena 
This is where our liberation is, is where freedom lies, is knowing, not in, uh, in trying to create perfection, but knowing the nature of phenomena in this very direct way. So in the, the end of the day, all we need to know is all conditions are impermanent. But don't think you know that because you, you, you know, you're grasping these kind of words. But it's a continuous effort, you know, kind of persistence uh, where we have to use everything that happens to us for this kind of knowledge. You know, so when I came to live in England, 1977, I only had 10 years uh, as a bhikkhu, you know, so I, and here I was, uh, you know, in living in London for two years, first two years. But I did have, you know, before I even left Thailand, I made a determination that this practice would be foremost, no matter what that, you know, I'd be called upon, maybe people want me to be a meditation teacher or, a, you know, spread the Dhamma throughout Europe and, and convert uh, the Christians to Buddhism or bring the Dhamma to the West or, you know, create monasteries and ordain a lot of monks and nuns and, and be very successful, popular, charismatic, meditation teacher or something like this, you know, there's a tempting, uh, tempting uh, perceptions. But what I always kept in mind was this mindfulness here and now, that no matter whether I was being praised, adulated, or blamed or criticized, that I kept the attention, tried to always be aware of the, the, uh, my uh, the the result of that of you know being praised is like this or being criticized or hated is like this and this awareness of the condition and uh, you begin to to trust it because you see you know you actually can witness the impermanence of your emotional habits and conditions it's not a denial or a judgment, it's a recognition of, of reality, awakening to the way things really are. All conditions are impermanent, not the way things should be, but the way they are in the present. And this we can know very directly. It's ujjupatipano. You know, it's not, not about practicing now to become enlightened in the future. Or, you know, whatever you think you are now, you know, how many of you think you're, you're, you know, that you're somebody who has to become enlightened or get something you don't have? How many of you are here thinking you've got to get rid of your defilements, your bad thoughts, your anger and greed uh, in order to become some, you know, some ideal you imagine in the future? And then being a witness to this, this sense of I've got to get something I don't have and get rid of things I have that I don't want, you begin to see those are thoughts that you create in your mind. You create yourself as somebody who's ignorant, who needs to get something called enlightenment. Or in order to get enlightenment, you've got to get rid of anger and greed and fear. And so these are these are sakyaditi problems, sila bhattabharamasa, vichikicha, the three uh, obstructions to the path. As long as these uh, you believe in these conditions, then you'll never see the path. You'll never understand. You'll always be struggling to get samadhi, to get rid of anger or become something that you imagine. And you'll never succeed at that, I guarantee it. <laughs> so, right from the beginning, you know, be aware that 
whatever you're thinking or whatever you create yourself right now as being, you know, something or other, is, is the way it is. It's not about right or wrong anymore, but it is a condition, a habit, a pattern that we have called sakyaditi or self-view. And that awareness of self-view is not self. You know, it's, it's not a person or mine or yours or anything else. It's awareness that's available to us every, every moment, all the time, if we learn to trust it and cultivate it. And it, it's aware of the way things are, not, and, and that's all we need to know. So I offer this as a reflection, and it, it I mean it as an encouragement, because this is a, you know, this is a rare opportunity you have here uh, for for breaking through delusions and ignorance, and the society we live in here is ignorant. You know, it doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know what to do. Nobody knows what they're doing. Anywhere, not just here, but everywhere, because they're they're operating from ideas, from ignorance, from prejudices, biases, perceptions that that human beings create out of ignorance. So recognize that this opportunity here is is not to create more ignorance and and identification with the religion, but using these conventions for what they were meant to be used for, for awakened attention, awakened to reality, to know things as they really are. So I offer this 